either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, maybe we should just start by throwing out more of our unpopular opinions because that's what <laughs> that's the theme. Pineapple is the best pizza topping. How Wrong. about that? Uh, golf is not a sport. Um, Eddie Van Halen is overrated. Want me to keep going? Because <laughs> uh, we're going to get to some unpopular opinions. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. And actually, before we get into them, we talked about uh, the new movie Underwater, and we heard from our friend Omar. That's right, which is funny because Omar, is, we gave it a pretty, well, yeah. lukewarm review. I mean, it was okay, and he's considering going basically because... Uh, we said that it uh, Kristen Stewart in her underwear, just like just like Ellen Ripley, and good for you, Omar. Okay, <laughs> hope you enjoy. And if you remember last week, we got to correct. We made a little, shall we call it a fox paw, a faux pas <laughs> from last week when we were talking about Aquafina. We we got so caught up in some of the Os- Golden Globes, yeah, and some of the Oscars snubs and everything like that. We were talking about the Golden Globes, and what did we say? We said, "Well, here's the thing." So we were talking about the Golden Globes specifically, and how weird we thought it was that Aquafina won right. for drama, right? Which we assumed was the case because we knew that Renee Zellweger had won for playing Judy, Judy Garland. Garland, and so in our head, she won for musical or comedy. But we were wrong. And the thing is, neither one switched. makes any damn sense <laughs> because if if Judy Garland, if Judy is not a musical, then I don't know how Walk the Line is. And yeah. uh, but but anyway, the point is. Aquafina won for Best Comedy, Best Lead in a Comedy, and Renee Zellweger won right. for Best Lead in a Drama. So they both, they both won. They did. We just, had the, we just had the categories confused. Yeah, and that leads into some of our snubs yeah. from the Oscar nominations Aquafina. because Renee Zellweger, playing Judy Garland, did get a nomination, which we figured. Yeah. But Aquafina was one of our surprising snubs. Yes, we were sorry about that. I think the one that hurts me the most is Greta Gerwig. I'm so sad that she didn't, and that you know what? I thought that Joker was great, but she should have she should have top top Phillips spot as director. Very much. Agree. The biggest one, of course, was Sandler. Well, for me, that's not the biggest one. Uh, I yeah. know it's the the most headline grabbing yeah. one. I am I am astounded that Apollo Eleven did not even get nominated for Best Documentary. That just astounds me. Yeah, it is, it is that amazing. That was so great. And I know this was a great year for documentaries. It was an insane it really was. year for but documentaries. But that's the best one. <laughs> that one, just, that one just, just really just blew me away. But you're right. Adam Sandler, that was a big snub. I really thought J-Lo was going to get yeah. nominated. I did. Uh, um, portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know what? You know, I was cautiously optimistic going into the nominations that that would get some consideration in categories outside of Best Foreign Language, maybe cinematography, mm-hmm. you know. But the truth is, it didn't even get nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. That, that was a big surprise as well. And, of course, Robert De Niro. Yeah. You know, the other two of the big three from The Irishman were yeah. um, Joe Pesci and, and uh, Al Pacino, and they deserved it, but I think he did too. But as we had said, no, best, best actor, actor this year, lead, loaded. That, because the other one would be Taron Edgerton. From I Rocket mean, Man, yeah. yeah. Uh, best actor, lead actor was, I think, the most stacked category this year. Yeah, speaking of Taron Edgerton, I was reading, I think he may be the first one or one of the very few since he won a Golden Globe and then he was nominated for SAG and for BAFTA. Mm-hmm. And he's now one of the very, very few to get all that and not be nominated for an Oscar. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Obviously, a lot of very deserving films and and performances were nominated, but... Boy, a lot were left out. And I agree with you on um, on Greta Gerwig. I would put her in Todd Phillips's place. Oh, yeah, yes, absolutely. Best Director. But all that is coming up. Uh, of course, the Oscars, when are they? February 9th, I believe. 
the Oscars. But uh, we've got some new ones to talk about this week and uh, some unpopular opinions to get to, <laughs> as, I, uh, as we mentioned. So let's start off with Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett back at it, back together for one last ride in the highly anticipated Bad Boys for Life. I'm done, Mike. I'm a bit tired. Uh-oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body count? In these streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. One last time. One last time. Because it's bad boys for life. So it's been 17 years. It has been. Woo! Since uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are back at it. And I, I know there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of people... I guess maybe if the the age, 17 years ago, you hit them just right, there's a real nostalgia for that. I don't have it, mm. uh, but a lot of people do. A lot of people really excited to see this, and it just really surprised both of us because we saw this just a few days ago at a preview screening, mm-hmm. and then we started to see some of the buzz come in, some of the early reviews and some of the early audience reviews, and we just looked at ourselves going, uh, did we see the same film? Because right. we thought this was awful. Right. And the the critical sort of consensus has, has come down a bit since that first night or two, which I was happy to see. But, you know, to paraphrase a different film critic, the story was ludicrous, the theme was reprehensible, and yet... He couldn't help but enjoy himself. <laughs> so, you know, for us, I think, yeah, the story was ludicrous and the theme was reprehensible, and we didn't enjoy ourselves. No, that's the thing. And I get it. I like a good brainless action oh, film absolutely. sometimes. I do. And I also get being very excited for a new installment of a franchise. I remember back when the, yeah, it was the last one so yeah. far, uh, the fifth Die Hard came out. And, of course, Die Hard, as you may have heard me say, my favorite movie. And I think all the other sequels of Die Hard have at least been okay. Hmm. I was excited about Die Hard 5, and I had to admit it sucked. Oh, yeah, sucked it out right. It sucked out loud. So I don't have a big af- affection for this franchise, but this movie, there's nothing. I, I was rolling my eyes mm-hmm. or putting my, my head in my hands for 95% of it. Yeah. It's so moronic. Yeah. It's, they don't care about anything but... The explosions, okay, that's fine. Again, action films, like it, but at least make some sense. Yeah. They don't even care about continuity. They no. don't care about making any sense, no. any sort of authenticity. Even humor is a very personal thing. I don't think it's that funny no, either. I, I don't think a lot of, many of the jokes land at all. No, I agree with you. I do think Martin Lawrence got, oh, two, maybe three good good lines off, but that's, a, that's, that's not a lot for a 90-minute-plus movie. And it's funny. I think one of the reasons that people like this is that it really kind of harkens back to sort of the Michael Bay heyday of like the late 90s early 2000s michael bay did he he started this franchise he does not direct this film but it's got sort of his ticks all over it which is to say one scene bears no importance to the next scene and he's got the a action, cameo actually yeah the action <laughs> trajectory makes no sense whatsoever guns appear and disappear explosions happen whole city blocks blow up there's no repercussions of any sort and- it's nonsense but you know what? A nonsensical um, franchise that, for me, has finally just embraced that and, and become something that's fun and worth watching is the Fast and the Furious movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've given up on being anything other than basically a superhero movie with cars. Yeah. And once they've done that, I mean, I, I find myself guilty pleasuring my way through those movies. I couldn't do that with this. So you're pleasuring yourself during the movies. Is that what you just said? Did you just say that out loud? <laughs> you said it! 
Uh, the directors here are Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala, and they actually directed something you yeah, liked. I didn't see it. The thing is, they're a, a, a duo. They always work together, as far as I know, too, and they're out of Brussels. And they made a movie called Black. All of their films for, in Brussels are kind of crime dramas, kind of, uh, you know, action-y, but, but gritty, and also well-written, well-performed, insightful, different, entertaining, but not stupefying. That's the best Unlike word. Unlike this movie. This is stupefying. Well, it really seems like I can't tell any difference from when Michael Bay directed him. A very, very little difference. And let's just hit a, a couple things. There's the just standout, yeah. um, low-hanging fruit, but there's one scene where there are a bunch of the cops, These, as you mentioned, the best-looking cops ever. This is the, the team now, the, the new team that surrounds uh, Will Smith and, and Martin Lawrence. So they're in their command center, whatever it might be, going over strategy, and then we, we cut away to what Will Smith is doing and what the bad guys are doing, enough so that you, you really think some time has passed here, more than a day, right? And then we cut back to the command center, uh, or what the, and they're all wearing the same clothes. Okay. And they've gotten no farther along in their investigation, and that's when Captain comes in and says, this is personal for me. And then a second later, the person who's in charge of the team says, this is also personal for me. Uh, and at that point, both of us were like, is, is, that, is that a gag? Is well, that like a funny bit? That's the thing. Joey Pants plays the captain, and he's always fun. And another local critic here in town brought up the fact that they thought that character, his character, the captain, was a... A satire of the captain character who's always telling someone like Clint Eastwood, you're going rogue, you're off the case. I didn't get that at all. Well, you know, I, I almost, we, we both thought in a number of occasions that this movie would work a little better as a spoof. Of, it felt like a spoof I, I know, sometimes. because it was just so stupid. It was so stupid. And then you take the, <laughs> we can go on, so we're, we're going to stop. You take this lifelong friendship, right? These two characters. They've been friends. They've been partners. They know everything about each other. And Ride then, or die. Yeah. So then why do you have a conversation about just out of nowhere, Martin Lawrence asks him, so, oh, you've never been in love? And we hear about this long lost love and this relationship. I thought you guys knew each other right. forever and told nothing, nothing at all feels authentic here. Oh, no. Yes, they have chemistry together as actors, yeah. as friends, but nothing about their characters feels authentic at all. We really didn't like this movie. No, we didn't. <laughs> but you know what? It's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. And they do leave it open-ended for continuing this whole one well, last ride IMDb. business. IMDb. There's already a fourth installment right, in the works. So right. in pre-production. And, and that's another thing. How, how, what a cliche is it? One more time. I'm like, one last score. One la it's, it's just so weighted down with nothing but cliche and just asinine storytelling and stupefying dialogue. I just, I can't, I can't get my head around the fact that everybody's loving it so yeah, much. I just really can't. And hey, that's bad boys for life. <laughs> More unpopular opinions coming for our next one. It's a physician discovering that he can talk to animals do little. Are you Dr. Doolittle? We've no choice but to embark on this perilous journey. So this one, I guess, I was just finding this out in the last couple of weeks, has had quite the troubled production. Yes. And I think that it, it's one where the trailer dropped and all of the world, or Twitter, which is where I spend my world, <laughs> responded with horror and gasps, like, oh my God. And there was a lot of reshooting and a lot of worry and a lot of comparisons to cats, which is just unfair. Right. So the, the word, the early word on this is just horrific. It's getting savaged with, with reviews. I haven't really seen any or talked to anyone that's seen it. No. Because it's probably going to bomb. Yeah. 
but I don't think it's that bad. And I thing, really I mean, don't. It's not a ringing endorsement. No. But, you know, I've, I've certainly seen worse. I mean, I saw Cats. Right. Here's the thing. It's rated PG. I mean, it's a straight-up kids film. It absolutely get, get, is. Get that, first it's of all. for your children. It's for your children. So are, would we recommend you go seeing it as an adult with no children? No, not at all. But if you have children and you take them, I don't think you're going to come out of there just thinking, oh, my God. No. It's it's totally fine way to pass an hour and a half or so with your kids. I mean, it resets the Dr. Doolittle story. Of course, it began in 1967 with the Rex Harrison version. And then in the late 90s and early 2000s, Eddie Murphy did a, a reboot, a couple of reboots, um, that really took it in a more straight comedic direction. And now it's reset. It's taken back. First of all, it's taken back to the Victorian era in Britain. And, it, and as it goes along, it becomes more of an adventure. Oh, definitely. They go off on this big adventure as Robert Downey Jr. is now Dr. Doolittle. And I will say one thing that was curious. He, in part of realizing this character, he chose an accent, which is a little up and down about mm-hmm. where it comes from. Is mm-hmm. it Scottish? Is it British? I don't know. But he decides to use this hushed, yeah. whispery, husky delivery yeah. mm-hmm. with the accent. And those two things coupled together, for me, made it hard to understand him sometimes. Yeah, there was actually one point where it sounded like he was talking about someone's butthole. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't, but because he kind of whispered and had an accent, I'm yeah. like, what did he just say? Yeah, well, you know, the little kids might think, find that funny. He said butthole! <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the talking animals are more or less charming. Uh, yeah. uh, John Cena as the polar bear oh, was pretty fun. There's oh, a my ton. God. Craig Robinson Craig as the Robinson. squirrel was a hoot. Who else? Emma Thompson. Yeah. She's uh, always great. If geez. you can get her Octav- voice in your movie, you should. Yeah. Octavia Spencer. Uh, who else? Selena Gomez. Kumail Nanjiani. Tom There's Holland. Tom Holland. There's a list of great voice characters in these, uh, these CGI animals. And the CGI is fine. It's fine. Oh, yeah. It's, it's nothing to write home about. But, right. again, it's not cats. All right. But the story takes it, so he's pretty much, Dr. Doolittle has become pretty much a hermit, yeah. a recluse, because of the death of his wife. And then he is visited by a young lady from the uh, from Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. basically, uh, urging him to come and see to the queen, Queen of Victoria, young Queen Victoria. She has taken ill, quite seriously ill. They don't know why, and they don't know how to revive her. So uh, then it becomes an adventure to go to this island, sail off with all the animals, on this island to find this cure, what will cure Queen Victoria, because there's there's much suspicion about how she became ill in the first place, and her royal doctor, Dr. Mudfly, mm. who's played by Michael, uh, Sheen. Michael Sheen, he's kind of the villain, and he's trying to stop Dr. Doolittle and the gang. Anyway, that's how it becomes the adventure, and the king on the island they're going to is Antonio Banderas. Yes. The Oscar-nominated. That's right. This year, Antonio Banderas. So anyway... Not it, for this movie. No. It does become <laughs> quite the adventure, and again, I just, I don't really understand just the trashing that it's getting. It's certainly not great, but let's pick another thing. I saw one of the complaints I did see in a review was that in the beginning, it tells more than it shows. Now, we have used that complaint a lot, and oh, it's yeah. valid. Yeah. It is valid. You want it's, it's a movie. A movie is a visual medium. You want to show, not tell, but I thought... In this, the way they the do way it, which is kind of a, a child's picture book is yeah, how they sort as of... A, as a fairy tale. Yeah. It's an animated sort of a picture book, and that's how they give you the backstory. And yes, they do tell you more than they show you, but I thought that was kind of an inventive, clever way to do it, since this is a kid's movie. So there you go. It's just we're, we're out of step this week. Yeah, we're, I mean, one of the things I think that, that ought to happen in January is you just need to lower your expectations, right, for at least studio releases, because this is when studios put out the films that they didn't think had a shot to make money over the holidays. 
And we don't, we don't, we've, we've talked about this before. You just don't get the best films in January. You know, sometimes you can look forward to something great in February, the last couple of years. Us. Uh, Get Out, Black Panther. Yeah. And so hopefully we'll see one of those, something great, come out in February, because that was, that's been a nice change of pace. It has. But generally, it's kind of a slog until early spring when they start putting out movies that are sort of our predecessors to the summer blockbusters. Yeah, so the bottom line is if you have kids, they like the talking animals, and you go with them, I don't think you're going to hate it. I really don't. You're going to think, okay, that was pleasant enough, and, and yeah. then forget it. Right. And that's what is Dr. Doolittle. Got a few in limited release this week, and we'll start off with one of the Oscar-nominated documentaries this year. Amid airstrikes and bombings, a group of female doctors in Syria struggle with systemic sexism while trying to care for the injured using limited resources. It's called The Cave. Well, first off, i got to tell you, in the last few years, I have seen a number of documentaries on Syria. and it, uh, it, Then the war in Syria. The war in Syria. And it's so bad because I almost dread it yeah. because it's such a bring down. And then it makes me want to go, oh, real nice, because I can just turn it off and walk away. Right, right, right. And these people have to live yeah. with this war. And that's one of the strengths that this movie has. It, it makes you realize this is what they're living day in and day yeah. out. So it's one of those movies that it's it's not a joy to watch no, at all. No. It is really not, but boy, it is insightful. And it, it finds a way to give these horrific events another angle. This is uh, director and co-writer Ferris Fayad, and he also did the Oscar-nominated... Last Man in Aleppo. Right, which was on the, the White Helmet Brigade in Syria. Right. Uh, but this takes a totally new angle. It centers on this one doctor who's pretty much in charge of this underground hospital, which they refer to as the cave. And because of the constant bombings, really since 2013, we're told that so many people have taken underground to try right. to get some relief from this. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, what the underground does not protect you from? Chemical attacks. And those come as well. And you just follow this doctor through trying to help these people and stupefyingly, you gave me that word a few, a few, <laughs> a few minutes ago, so I want to use it, also having to battle this systemic sexism that you just, you know, she's helping. She's trying to help these people. And a guy just tells her, you shouldn't even be working. You should be at home. <laughs> she talks about how she chose a life in medicine and a pediatrician because she thought that was a, a righteous outlet for her anger. Mm. And when she talks about trying to change things, she's not only trying to change the health of these injured. Right. She's trying to change the oppression of women yeah. in her homeland. So it, it takes another angle there, um, and it's very effective. But again, it's very hard to watch. Yeah. And this one is not to be confused. There's another movie that came out in 2019, The Cave, and that is about the uh, soccer team, the Thai boys soccer team that got trapped in that cave. Right. But this one is the documentary, and it's Oscar-nominated this year for Best Documentary Feature, The Cave. Got another documentary next. In Mexico City's wealthiest neighborhoods, the Ochoa family runs a private ambulance competing with other for-profit EMTs for patients in need of urgent help. It's called Midnight Family. Well, here's another indication of how strong a year 2019 was for documentaries, because this one was not nominated 
And I was very surprised by that. So it's funny. We got a chance to see this a few months ago because there's a, an art center here in Columbus, the Wexner Center for the Arts, and they do yearly a little festival called Unorthodox. And it's shocking how many, actually, of this year's nominees played there. For Sama, American Factory, two of the examples. Yeah. And one of the ones that we saw there was this, and I thought for sure that this was going to get nominated for an Oscar because it's just absolutely fascinating. I couldn't quite get over. It starts with a statistic on on the screen that in a city with a population of 9 million people, there are 45 official hospital ambulances. I was was floored by that as well. It's insane. And so to cover the need, they sprung up these competitive, personally owned ambulances, but they're not sanctioned and they don't get word in any kind of a traditional way. And so they they just kind of listen to like the cop spanner, some of them bribe the police and they fight they race each other to the scenes of these accidents to try to be the people who get to uh, be the ambulance to take them to the hospital and it's uh, the the Ochoa family they're just a fascinating group of people and and it's so fun there's a 17 year old son who drives the ambulance like a wild man <laughs> because you know they are competing with these other ambulances to get there first and so while the story itself is actually pretty heartbreaking about just the state of the medical crisis in Mexico City and about what this family has to do to survive. At the same time, it's really offset by these just breathless scenes of the ambulance running down the street. I can't get over how effective the filming is of that. Yeah. You take away all that is going on around them and the ridiculousness of this situation. But yeah, just looking at this family, it's an interesting story of a family And it might be another business, whatever they're choosing to survive. But just from the angle of how this family is living day to day is interesting as well. Absolutely, because it's easy, I think, to consider them a bit ghoulish in the way that they are very calculating in trying to get payment and trying to turn this into a profit. And then you see them as a whole group, you know, sort of get their their cash out together, see how much they have. And they all just have a dinner together of of tuna fish on saltines that mm-hmm. they buy at a convenience store. Then they go home and they sleep in sleeping bags on the floor and they have no hot water. So because because this business isn't sanctioned, no one has to pay them. So they have to, like, connive and, you know, weasel yeah. to try to get payment. The whole thing, I mean, it's, it's uh, one of the things I love about a great documentary is if it introduces you to something you had absolutely no idea existed. And, man, that's what this one does. And it also has some parallels of things that you might think about toward the mess that is healthcare in America. Right, and and where we're headed. Uh, yeah, uh, anytime that health care is for profit. Yes. Uh things things happen. Things just naturally happen and this can get you thinking about that as well, but you're right. It opens your eyes to things that most people in America probably do not know yeah. about Mexico City and this is this is one angle and it it is fascinating and ghoulish, but well worth seeing. And a little surprised that, well, again, it was such a strong year for documentaries. Yeah, Apollo 11 wasn't even nominated. Oh, Let me no. get back in my soapbox for that. But well, <laughs> well worth seeing if you can find it in your area. Midnight Family. And one more limited release to talk about this week. An insurance lawyer goes out on the town to celebrate an upcoming promotion with his co-worker. But their night takes a turn for the bizarre when Frank is dosed with a hallucinogen It completely alters his perception of the world. It's called The Wave. Have you ever woken up from a dream so real that for a moment you can't remember where you are? This is a lot like that. 
So, what do you do? Uh, I'm an attorney. Why, do you like a public defender? Cold corporate faceless guy. All the way. Really? I feel like people keep looking at me weird. Oh, they're just wondering why I brought my dad. <laughs> so who's going to go first? Okay. How long till this stuff is supposed to kick in? It's going to hit you like a wave. You all right? This is the feature debut for director Gilles Clayton. Hope I pronounced that right. And it stars Justin Long. That's right. It's been a while since we've seen Justin Long, and the truth is, he looks exactly like he did back in those <laughs> Mac ads. He hasn't aged a minute. <laughs> this was actually the review, the written review for this was done by Brandon Thomas, and mm -hmm. you can find that on our website at madwolf.com. But he thought it was all right. He did. You know, it's basically, do you want to take some, make some bad decisions with Justin Long? That's what the movie could also be called. And, uh, it, you know, it's a little sci-fi mind bender. Uh, it's maybe... Maybe a little obvious with the sort of morality that it's toying with, but it's entertaining throughout. It's not a great movie, but it's kind of fun. That that's the thing. It does kind of supply a good time, and uh, and that's about that's about best you can say about <laughs> it. <laughs> and and there's Justin Long again. But as one thing that um, Brandon pointed out in his review, remember speaking of Die Hard, remember when he was in that the fourth Die Hard, mm -hmm. and he just seemed like he was going to be the next guy. You know, he yeah. was everywhere. Yeah. And then he kind of wasn't. He did, that's true. Uh, but but he's back again, and this one uh, this one has offers a, some good time if you can find it, and it's called the Wave, and that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Well, first up was one we just talked about last week. Yeah. Uh, now it's out for home video. It's Three Christs. So this is the one Richard Gere plays psychologist in 1959, Ypsilanti, Michigan, studying three different patients, each of whom thinks they are Jesus Christ. It's the three patients that make this worth watching. Peter Dinklage, Walton Goggins, and Bradley Whitford. They all do a great job, uh, Goggins in particular. But the movie just is a bit muddy. Gemini Man, speaking of Will Smith, that one's out on video. And this was a colossal flop, I believe. Oh, yes, it, it was. It made a lot of brouhaha over the fact that he was... You know, going against himself, a younger version of himself with this de-aging CGI, which just seems to be real hit and miss. Yes. And there was moments in this movie when it hit, but far too many when it missed. And not only that, but the story misses completely. I thought it was just pretty boring. Another disappointment, Maleficent, the mistress of evil. Yes. You know, this is one every time I want to work because, as you know, I love that right, character, right. For the cartoon version of that character. I love that character. And I also think that Angelina Jolie is perfect to play her. I just wish they would give her something worth doing. In this one, they brought in Michelle Pfeiffer. And she it plays a villainous role. She's great in the role. She is. She really is. But they just cram so much junk into this movie. There are like 300,000 characters with mm -hmm. lines. They're like, they take you on all these different adventures. None of it goes together very well. It doesn't add up to anything. It wastes a lot of great talent, especially Al Fanning. Yeah, and I, I forget the category, but it did get an Oscar nomination, maybe for costume design or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think like it is that. costume so, design. So, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil 1. Apollo 11, zero. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of the end of times. Zero. End of times. <laughs> Uncut gems, zero. zero. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jexy comes out this week as well. Another stab at trying to find some insightful comedy in our devotion to our phones. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of my favorite lines from any review that I've ever written was this is, if you take, it's like Spike Jones's utterly brilliant movie, Her, but dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's all you can say about that. Running with the Devil comes out as well. Another in the endless parade of Nicolas Cage movies that you say, oh, did that come out? Right. <laughs> and this is one where Nicolas Cage doesn't play the unhinged character. He plays the very buttoned-down, somber character, and Lawrence Fishburne plays the unhinged character. And while I definitely like Lawrence Fishburne, the whole time I kept thinking... Why would they do this? They really should have swapped parts, and this might have been a more interesting movie, because who wants to see Nicolas Cage be boring? <laughs> uh, so looking ahead to next week, um, well, we've got, there's some we've actually already seen. Speaking of Nicolas Cage, right. he's got yet another movie coming out, because of course he does. And it's called Color Out of Space. Also one that we thought might have secured a Oscar nomination for Alfre Woodard, but did not mm. in the movie Clemency. That's another one of those that was technically a, a 2019 movie, but is now getting wide release. Yep. Uh, also, Les Miserables, and it's not the one you think. No, it is not uh, the Hugo, uh, it's not the Victor Hugo movie, but it is in certain ways inspired by that, and it is an Oscar nominee. Mm -hmm. That is interesting that they chose the same title. Uh, very it's going to be misleading for, oh, there's another late miss. <laughs> well, there is and there isn't. And then there's really two big national releases, and we're looking really forward to one of them. It's called The Turning because it's another adaptation of The Turn of the Screw. Right, which is also what The Innocence, one of my absolute favorite movies, is based on. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, the latest from Guy Ritchie who has uh, really been hit and miss lately, and it's mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey and some others in The Gentleman. So we'll see how those are next week. But this week, what'd you think? You probably disagree with us about bad boys because <laughs> most everybody does. Uh, that's all right. Let us know about it. Love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way you can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all our written reviews, our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Another fun stuff that's all up on the main website at madwolf.com. And we always appreciate when you drop by the screening room. Do us a favor if you would and subscribe, rate, and review. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.